Good morning. Good morning. Hope everyone's doing well. It's a joy to be back with you. And uh, we'll see how our time goes at the end of this. If we have a few minutes for Q&A, we'll do that. I'm not sure that we will, but we shall see. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer and we'll begin. Father, we're so very grateful for this time that you have given to us. And uh, thank you for each and every young person who is here. And I pray that, uh, that your Holy Spirit would sanctify them and all of us, Lord, in the truth of your word. Pray that your perfect will would unfold in each of their lives and that uh, we would all glorify Christ our King by lives of obedience to your sufficient word. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay. So uh, Tuesday, we talked a little bit about the Word of Faith movement, New Apostolic Reformation, the Prosperity Gospel, and I want to drill down a little bit more specifically on one issue today, and that is how to hear the voice of the Lord. I really want in my teaching, in my ministry, to emphasize the sufficiency of Scripture, and I think there's probably no area, specific area, that is more widely misunderstood, even amongst non-charismatic churches and evangelicals than this issue, how to hear the voice of the Lord. And uh, I have heard, you have heard undoubtedly people say all the time, well, God has spoken to me. God has spoken to me and he's told me to tell you that you need to do such and such. Uh, Pastor, God has spoken to me and he's told me to tell you that our church needs to go this direction. Lots of people out there claim to hear the voice of God. So, How do we know when God is speaking to us? How do we know the voice of the Lord? So I want us to begin with a quiz. I'm going to give you a pop quiz. You probably didn't know you were going to have a pop quiz this morning, but guess what? You got one. Uh, A pop quiz. Which theological group does the following? Erratic jerking and shaking. Uncontrollable laughter. They get slain in the spirit. They prophesy. They have physical healings, and they speak in tongues. Which group do you automatically think of when you see these behaviors? Which group? Oh, come on, really? Y'all are sharper than this. (laughs) Pentecostal, right? Pentecostal, charismatic. Hindus. Does that surprise you? (laughs) There is a subset within Hinduism known as Kundalini. And people in Hindu Kundalini exhibit the exact same behaviors that charismatics do. You can take video clips of people in Hindu Kundalini, put them side by side, video clips of charismatics, and you cannot tell the difference. You literally cannot tell the difference. They look exactly alike. They speak in tongues in the exact same way that charismatics do. So what does that tell us? that tells us that just because someone is exhibiting one or more of these behaviors does not necessarily mean that that ability is coming from God. Pagans do it too. And they do it just as convincingly as any charismatic. So, dear friends, I don't doubt that people are having experiences. Okay, Don't doubt that at all. The question is, is what is the source of these experiences? No matter how real an experience may seem to us, if that experience does not plumb with God's Word, then we must reject it. We cannot interpret the Bible by what we experience. We must interpret our experiences by the Bible. Okay? All right. Now, I know what I'm going to talk about today is going to be 
somewhat controversial and maybe not everybody in here is going to, may not all be on the same page. Here's what I would ask you as we go through that you think critically and that um, you realize that the arbiter of truth is not what we experience. The arbiter of truth is the Word of God. Okay? All right. So let us begin. I want to uh, define a couple of terms here. And these are two terms that are widely, widely misunderstood. Revelation and illumination. Revelation refers to God revealing new information that up until the point of revelation has previously been hidden. Okay, so God revealing something new that has not been revealed up until that point. And you hear people say all the time, oh, well, I got revelation on this. God gave me revelation on that. No, He didn't. Okay, God's not giving any new revelation. He's not revealing anything new that has not already been revealed. Okay, Revelation is not happening today. Now, what may be happening, and should be happening actually, is illumination. This refers to the enabling work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of believers to understand and appropriate the truths of Scripture. So in other words, as a believer, when we are indwelt by the third person of the triune Godhead, the Holy Spirit of God, and we are reading the Word of God, He helps us to understand God's Word. He illumines the meaning of God's Word and enables us to obey it. So illumination should be happening today in the lives of Christians all the time. Revelation, no. Illumination, yes. Owen P. Robertson says this, and why not both? Why not the illumination of Scripture coupled with new revelations of the Spirit? Simply because if you declare a need for both, you have implied the insufficiency of the one. You have placed yourself back in the framework of the Old Covenant in a time when the new revelations were required because of the incompleteness of the old. But Christ is the final word. Indeed, Christ is the final word. Now, this notion of God speaking today to people in a direct quotable sense outside of Scripture, divine revelation knowledge. Uh, this is a term that was first coined by Essek W. Kenyon. He was the grandfather of the modern Word of Faith movement. Kenyon believed in two types of knowledge. The first of these is sensory knowledge, that which we get through our senses, sound, taste, smell, touch, so forth. Uh, the other is revelation knowledge, and this is supernatural knowledge. Now, according to Kenyon, the catch to this is that these two spheres of knowledge are mutually exclusive. And what that means is, is that reasoning or logical thought is of no value. So in other words, if you want to go deep with God, if you want to get to the deep, secret, hidden things of God, you've got to disengage your mind, put the old noodle in park. Is that what the Bible tells us to do? No. We are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind. He gave us a mind for a reason. He wants us to use it. We are to study to show ourselves approved unto God, right? The Bible never enjoins us to disengage our minds when it comes to the things of God. Quite the opposite. Our minds are to be engaged, not disengaged. The disengaged mind is the friend of the false teacher. That's how false teachers purvey their error. They are counting on you, disengaging your mind. Really, this whole notion goes back much further than Essek Kenyon. It goes down back to the ancient heresy known as Gnosticism, derived from the Greek word gnosis, 
Gnosticism uh, was a system of thought in which a demiurge created and rules the world, and salvation was obtained through this secretly divine revealed knowledge. But to get this knowledge, you had to disengage your mind and just kind of open yourself to any whim or, you know, a thought that passed through your mind. This is kind of, uh, it's an oversimplification, but that's kind of the root of Gnosticism. And this notion of disengaging your mind to hear God speak to you is a modern day version, a repackaged version of Gnosticism. Now, uh, any number of heresies have been taught by someone saying, well, God has spoken to me. Let me tell you what he has to say. Practically every false religion out there has begun that way. Uh, two big ones come to my mind immediately, Mormonism and Islam. Both Joseph Smith and Muhammad both claim that this entity, this thing, this being appeared to them and gave them new revelation. And it's interesting when you read their accounts, initially both Joseph Smith and Muhammad were scared of this thing that appeared to them. They both thought it was an evil being. And then they, over time they became convinced, no, this really is from God. They should have stuck with their first impressions. <laughs> and there's no way of knowing this, but it's just kind of my own little working theory. I just wonder if it wasn't the same demon that appeared to both Joseph Smith and Muhammad. Now we have two huge false religions that were begun in almost exactly the same way. Very interesting. Benny Hinn has claimed that God has spoken to him and told him that there are nine members of the Godhead, uh, that women were intended to give birth out of their sides, which is, I suppose, not particularly heretical. It's just kind of stupid. But there's... <laughs> but again, he claims that God gives him these things. And, and you turn on Christian television or you go into most charismatic churches and, and it's a regular thing. God has spoken to me. God's told me to tell you this or that. Watch this from Robert Morris, pastor of Gateway Church. But if you have a, a thought that God doesn't speak anymore, I really don't mean this condescending. I mean it the way I'm saying it. I feel so sorry for you. That you have a personal relationship with someone who never speaks to you. I don't know how personal that is. So hearing from God must be really, really important. In fact, uh, Henry Blackaby, author of Experiencing God, said this. Now, I would say that Experiencing God by Henry Blackaby is the thing that is singularly most responsible for introducing charismatic theology into non-charismatic churches. Uh, but Henry Blackaby said this. He says, if you have trouble hearing God speak, you're in trouble at the heart of your Christian experience. So hearing God speak to you must be really, really important. And if you're having trouble hearing God speak to you in some still small voice, well, you're in trouble at the very heart of your Christian experience. Bill Hybels, up until about a year or so ago, was pastor of Willow Creek Church. He writes in his book, he says, One day a few summers ago, I decided to spend an afternoon alone with God. I hopped on a boat headed out on the lake and prepared to hear meaningful words from heaven. I sat there for an hour and heard nothing. I sat there for a second hour and heard precisely nothing. Partway through hour number three, I thought, I love being on the water, but what's with the silence, God? I was going through a tough time at Willow Creek and desperately needed a little encouragement from above. Just as I was ready to haul up the anchor and motor back toward the harbor, 
I saw a Bud Light beer can float by. I stood there staring at the can, wondering, is this a message from God? If so, what could it mean? Am I supposed to drink Bud Light? Am I supposed to tell my congregation not to drink Bud Light? Is there a message inside the can? This is a pastor. And he thinks God is sending him messages through Bud Light beer cans? You know, how are you supposed to make sense out of this? So every time you see something that may be just a little bit unusual, you think that's somehow God trying to get a message to you. How are you supposed to make sense out of any of this? This is ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. And this is a, this is a pastor. He says in his book, The Power of a Whisper, without a hint of exaggeration, I can boldly declare that God's low-volume whispers have saved me from a life of sure boredom and self-destruction. Really? Low-volume whispers. So what about the Word of God? The Bible was not enough for you, Bill Hybels, to save you from a life of boredom and self-destruction? It's interesting that uh, Bill Hybels is now disqualified, morally disqualified from ministry because of sexual immorality. Those low-volume whispers didn't save him from self-destruction after all. Watch this from Robert Morris. Robert Morris tells us that prayer is a two-way street. But, you know, if we said, we're going to have a class on prayer, you'd say, that's, that's, I need that. And even the disciples said, teach us to pray. But let me remind you that hearing God is the second half of prayer. Because if you can't hear God, why would you pray? Now, one reason is to make our requests and petitions be known to God. But God never intended prayer to be a giving of our to-do list to him every morning. He intended prayer to be communication between a father and his children. And if you'll just take some time and start to listen, you'll be amazed that he'll speak. So prayer is a two-way street, and undoubtedly you have heard this, right? So when we pray, we begin to pray, and we talk to the Lord, and then we listen for the Lord to speak to us. It's a two-way street. Now, 30 years ago, up until experiencing God came on the scene, almost every at least non-charismatic church and people in non-charismatic churches would have understood that we talk to God in prayer and God talks to us in His Word. But ever since experiencing God came on the scene, now hardly anybody understands that. And we're being told that prayer is a two-way street, that we talk to God and we listen for Him to talk back to us. And so maybe you've done this, and I've done this before. I mean, we've been told this, it's supposed to be true, and so we've got something going on in our lives, some decision that we have to make, and so... We're very serious about it, and I'm not mocking, very serious about it. I used to do this, don't anymore. But, um, you know, we turn the TV off, put the kids to bed, everybody's, everything's quiet, we get real serious, and we go to the Lord, and we pray to the Lord, and we say, okay, Lord, this is what's going on in my life. That's a decision. I don't know what to do. Please, speak to me. I'm listening. And we get real quiet, and we listen real hard. And then, after a few seconds, inevitably what happens? A thought, right? Just kind of 
you know, a thought just kind of flashes through our minds and we think, oh, oh, was that you, Lord? Or, or was that me? Was that, was that God or was that the, the pizza I ate tonight? I mean, how do you know? How do you know? How do you know when God is speaking to you? Dear friends, you won't find anything like that modeled in Scripture. Nowhere. When God speaks in the Bible, and by the way, it wasn't nearly as often as what a lot of people think. Uh, there were long stretches of time in the Old Testament that God didn't say anything to anybody. 400 years between the Old and New Testament, He didn't say anything to anybody. Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, you've heard of those folks in the Old Testament? They never heard God speak at all. And yet we're being told today that this is supposed to be a regular common theme in the Christian life, to hear God speak to you. But you won't find anything like that modeled in Scripture. And this whole idea of prayer being a two-way street, that's far into the Word of God. Luke chapter 11, what did the disciples say? Lord, teach us to pray. What a great opportunity, right? Lord, teach us to pray. What a great opportunity for Jesus to say, okay, so here's how you pray. You talk to the Lord and then you get real quiet and you listen for Him to talk back to you, right? Great opportunity for Him to do that. I mean, the ball is sitting on the tee, waiting for Jesus to knock it out of the park. This is where Jesus tells us it's a two-way street, right? He doesn't say that, does He? Nothing at all. He said, pray in this way. Never said anything about listening for some still small voice, waiting for God to talk back to you. It's not at all what He said. Nowhere in the New Testament, or in the Old Testament for that matter, we hear or see, read any instruction on how to do that. Not at all. Uh-oh. Jesus Calling by Sarah Young. This is the hottest selling devotional book on the market today. It is light years ahead of everything else out, everything else out there. Uh, this is no ordinary devotional book. I'm very, very concerned about this book, and I'll show you why. This is, this is not an ordinary devotional. Jesus Calling by Sarah Young. I'm showing you excerpts directly out of the introduction of her book, word for word, copied and pasted. Sarah Young says, During the same year, in 92, I began reading God Calling, a devotional book by two anonymous listeners. These women practiced waiting quietly in God's presence, pencils and papers in hand, recording the messages they received from Him. God Calling is indeed a book. It was written back in the 1930s. I have a copy of it. And it was written by two anonymous female mystics. We actually don't even know who these two ladies were. Probably Roman Catholic mystics. But these two ladies uh, practiced waiting in the presence of God. And, and it's like they, with more practice, they finally tuned in to just the right frequency. And when they hit just the right frequency, God started calling them, talking to them. And with pencils in hand, they wrote down what God said. This was the inspiration for Sarah Young to write Jesus Calling. Sarah Young says, I knew that God communicated with me through the Bible, but I yearned for more. You see, the Bible just was not enough for Sarah Young. And for the vast majority of professing Christians today, the Bible's not enough for them either. Anytime I hear someone say, well, yeah, I know we have the Bible, and that's good, and I believe the Bible, but I need something more. You know, I need a personal word from the Lord from me. I need something more. Here's my question. 
you need something more than the Bible. Have you fully exhausted this book? Have you mastered it from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21? You know everything there is to know. You have completely mastered this book. There is not a single drop of truth that you could possibly squeeze from these pages. You have mastered it all. If the answer to that question is no, and it is, because none of us have mastered this book. If the answer to that question is no, then please do not tell me that you need something more. You don't even understand what you have in black and white right in front of you. Why are you telling me you need something more? Sarah Young says, I decided to listen to God with pen in hand, writing down whatever I believed He was saying. Houston, we have a problem. So just like the ladies who wrote God Calling and they tuned in to just the right frequency, Sarah Young tuned in to just the right frequency and Jesus started calling her and with pen in hand, she began to write down what He said. And if you read this book, you read the devotionals, 365 of them in each book, uh, they're all written in the first person for Jesus. I, Jesus, will do such and such. I am this. I am that. All written in the first person for Jesus. If this is really what is happening, if Jesus is really calling Sarah Young and she's writing down what he is telling her, you know what she's doing? She's writing Scripture. That's what she's doing. She's writing Scripture. Because whatever Jesus is saying to her and she's writing it down, then it should be just as authoritative as any verse in this book. And the same is true when all these people say, well, God spoke to me. God spoke to me and He said this. God spoke to me and He said that. If that is happening, then whatever God is telling people, whatever He is speaking to people, should be just as authoritative as anything in this book. Because God cannot speak less authoritatively on one occasion than He does on another Friends, if God is speaking, God is speaking. And whatever He says is authoritative. And so whatever He says, we should add to this book. There's just one problem with that. This book says do not add to this book. Okay. Sarah Young's not alone, of course. Uh Uh-oh. Beth Moore. Beth Moore. Boy, you, you criticize Beth Moore and the claws come out. I tell people if Southern Baptists had a female pope, it would be Beth Moore. <laughs> um, there's a lot. I, I could have a whole seminar on the issues with Beth Moore. But um, pertaining to this, in her book, When Godly People Do Ungodly Things show you a direct quote. I am being as honest as I know how to be when I say that I did not write these pages by simple preference. I wrote them because had I not, the rocks in my yard would have cried out. Wow. (laughs) Unbelievable. She is applying that. The the rocks would cry out. Jesus' triumphal entry into, the Jerusalem, into Jerusalem. She's comparing that to, to her book. 
What God does with what He has required is His business. I entrust this message entirely to the one who delivered it while I sat bug-eyed. So Beth Moore is saying that she was just this passive recipient and God started downloading information to her and she wrote it. That's an audacious claim. And again, if that really is what is happening, then the content of when godly people do ungodly things, that book, should be just as authoritative as this book. No difference. This also from Beth Moore. Beth Moore says this, There's a time to give up and a time to keep trying. Sometimes the time to, give, to keep trying feels a whole lot like time to give up. The only difference is the still, small voice of the Holy Spirit within you saying, Try again. It's not the same old Monday if there are brand new mercies. I put this tweet up there, this quote, because of that one phrase, the still, small voice. Dear friends, I am so weary of hearing people take this out of context. Well, God speaks to us in a still, small voice. No, He doesn't. You know where the still, small voice reference comes from? It comes from the book of 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. Elijah had just called down fire from heaven and then he was uh, ran like a scared little girl from Jezebel. Kind of an interesting passage there. But read this in 1 Kings 19. He fled from Jezebel, found himself in a cave, and in the cave he heard this still, small voice. Now literally in the Hebrew, it, it, it literally rendering of the Hebrew is the sound of a quiet whisper, basically. And it says that he heard this, he heard something, but he's in the cave and he didn't know what it was, but he heard something. And read it in 1 Kings 19. He says he walked out to the entrance of the cave and then he clearly heard the voice of God. The still small voice was not some inner impression in his head. It was not internal to Elijah, it was external. He walked out of the cave and he heard it. So can we please do away with this whole still small voice of God whispering some kind of, you know, messages to you inside your head? That's not what it's talking about. This was an external voice, not internal. And almost everybody uses that wrongly. God speaking to us can be dangerous. Um, physically dangerous. Watch this from Sid Roth. Friends, I've been watching Christian television, quote-unquote Christian, for a long time, and I've, I've heard an awful lot of things. I, this, is, this, what you're about to see, is one of the more jaw-dropping things I think I've ever, ser- ever heard seen on Christian television. Watch this. This is Sid Roth discussing Smith Wigglesworth. Smith Wigglesworth was a, a faith healer back in the 40s and 50s. Watch this. Hello, Sid Roth here. Welcome to my world where it's naturally supernatural. I have read of the great men and women of faith. One in particular intrigues me so much. His name, Smith Wigglesworth. He had some of the most outrageous miracles I ever heard of in my life. Uh, Let me give you one example. Some parents had a two-month-old baby dying in the hospital. The parents 
kidnapped the child, took the child to a Smith Wigglesworth meeting, and Smith looks at the child, looks at the parents and say, can I do what God tells me to do? Well, what would you do if you were the parents? The child's dying anyway, right? He takes the baby, two-month-old, throws the baby against the wall. The baby. Then the baby's on the floor. He ta- have you ever seen someone play soccer? Have you ever seen them uh, kick a soccer ball? He does that with the baby. The baby falls into the congregation. No crying. Is it dead? 100% healed. No crying. That, there are just no words for something that horrific. I, I honestly could not believe what I was seeing. This was just last year. Smith Wigglesworth was known for kicking people, punching people. He said he had to kick and punch the demons off of people. I don't know if that actually happened or not. If it did, that baby died. I'm hoping that is... It never happened, but it, knowing Smith Wigglesworth, it could have. Todd Bentley is a modern fake faith healer, and his inspiration, he's known for kicking people too. Smith Wigglesworth was his inspiration. That is shocking. That is absolutely shocking that this was put on national, indeed worldwide television for people all over the world to see. And in addition to the spiritual dangers of this movement, there are physical dangers. And friends, one of the charismatic mantras that you hear charismatics say all the time, What God does for one, he'll do for you. And so there's a lot of people out there, a lot of who are predisposed to this theology. And they're quite honestly, they're dumb enough to believe it. The very fact that they're putting this on television is self-evident proof that they're dumb enough to believe it. And so how many people out there are watching this? Some guy sitting there watching this and he's, he sees it. Wow. Smith Wigglesworth. He healed a baby by throwing it up against the wall and kicking it. Worked for Smith Wigglesworth. What God does for one, he'll do for, for you. My neighbor's kid is sick. My kid is sick. Maybe I should throw my baby up against the wall. The very fact that this is on television proves to you that people are dumb enough to believe this. Shocking. There is... There is zero discernment in the charismatic movement. None. None. Watch this from Robert Morris. Another common misconception. Watch this. All right. So John chapter 10, look at verse 1. We're talking about we're sheep and we can hear God. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, now watch this carefully, and the sheep, watch, hear his voice. Can can you just say those three words? Hear his voice. It does not say sense his impressions. And I'm not saying that God doesn't give us impressions. I just simply am literally blown away 
And, and when I say that, again, I'm not saying it condescendingly because I used to be of the theological persuasion that believed that God didn't speak anymore. And I'm shocked that I could have ever believed that. That he's just, just has chosen not to speak anymore since he wrote us a letter. And we have his word, but now he doesn't communicate personally to his children. I'm just shocked that I could have ever thought that way. My sheep hear my voice. Every book out there on how to hear the voice of God goes to John chapter 10, especially verse 27. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. So see right there, we're his sheep, right? He's the shepherd and the sheep hear the voice of the shepherd. And that is proof that God speaks to us today outside of scripture, right? Wrong, wrong. That is not at all what this verse is talking about. Let's look at it in context. Verse 26, Jesus says, but you do not believe me. Why? Because you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give eternal life to them and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. This has nothing to do at all with God whispering to you in some still small voice or telling you where to go have lunch one day. This is about salvation. This is about salvation. All of us who are Christians, we are sheep. Now, before we became Christians, we were what? Lost sheep. We weren't goats. We were lost sheep. And so as a lost person, you're out there as a lost sheep. You're out there in the pasture of life grazing and minding your own business, and all of a sudden you hear a voice. You hear the voice of the shepherd, and you perk your head up, and you see the shepherd, and you go to him. This is salvation. This is regeneration. This is the new birth. This is the shepherd calling his own to himself in conversion. Not God telling you where to go have lunch one day. What a, this is a beautiful passage of Scripture, magnificent passage of Scripture. And what a terrible trivialization to such a beautiful text to reduce it to God telling you where to go buy your Thanksgiving Day turkey. Literally, Charles Stanley has said that. That's not what this is talking about. Let's please, can we please stop using John 10, 27 out of context. Watch this from Matt Chandler, pastor of the Village Church. Matt Chandler. Now, because we're Bible people, look right at me. This stuff's scary. Like, let's, let's, see, let's have some real talk real quick. What if we're only talking to ourselves? What if we're like, okay, Lord, will you show me somebody that I might encourage, that I might, and somebody pop in our head, and that's just us. Okay, look at me. You got me? So what? Oh no, you're going to encourage somebody. Right? Like why why would that be this terrible thing? And, and then what, what if I'm wrong? Those are the two big things that just haunt Bible. We're just terrified of everything. Well, the reason it would be this terrible thing is because if it's not of God, it's not right. It's not real. We're we're claiming we're ascribing something to God that he never did. He never said. That's the problem. And he says, oh, you know, why would it be this terrible thing? Oh, we encourage somebody. That's not encouragement. What good is false encouragement? If it's not really from God, then what use is it? What use is it? 
No use at all. False encouragement is not real encouragement. False hope is not true hope. That's the danger. That's the issue. But we're just supposed to just sense and feel in all these things that God is supposedly speaking to us. Well, as I said, it comes from experiencing God. Henry Blackaby writes, in experiencing God, I sensed God's call. I, I prayed and sensed God wanted me to do such and such. I began to sense a great urgency from God. We began to sense God leading us. Our church sensed God wanted us to do such and such. One of our members felt led. So see, this is all very experientially led. We sense and feel and all of these things. Dear friends, not one place anywhere in the Bible will you ever hear or read of someone saying, I sensed the Lord said to me. I felt like the Lord said to me such and such. You will not find that anywhere in the Bible, Old or New Testament. The word of the Lord came to Abram. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. The word of the Lord came to Ezekiel. The word of the Lord came to Elijah. Even in the New Testament, when the Holy Spirit spoke, He spoke very clearly, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Dear friends, when God spoke in the Bible, Old and New Testament, when He spoke, it was crystal clear. Everybody knew exactly what He was saying. Well, I feel like the Lord might be trying to tell us, said no true prophet ever. When God spoke, He spoke and it was crystal clear. Crystal clear. Okay, so how does God speak to us? Let's go to the text, Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. The writer of Hebrews says, God, after He spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the world. The writer of Hebrews says that in the Old Testament, God spoke in a lot of different ways. Indeed, He did. God spoke to Moses through the burning bush. He spoke to Moses up on the mountain through storm and thunder. Uh, he spoke to Elijah through that still small voice, which again was an external audible voice. In Numbers chapter 22, God even made a donkey talk. So God did indeed speak in many different portions and in many different ways. But in these last days, says the writer of Hebrews, He has spoken to us in His Son. Friends, Jesus is the final speaking of God. The final speaking of God. Everything that God has to say to us, He has said in His Son, Jesus Christ. And we have a perfect, inerrant, infallible, all-sufficient record of that in His Word. Jesus is the final speaking of God. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand me. I don't want you to leave here today and think, oh, Justin told us that God doesn't speak to us anymore today. Now, that's not at all what I'm saying. God does speak to us today, right here. This is how God speaks to us. This is how He speaks to us. Well, if God just speaks to us in the Bible, how do I know the Lord's will for my life? You know, how, how do I know where to go to college? How do I know who to marry? How do I know what job to take? How do I know which house to buy? You know, how do I, how do I know God's will for my life? Do you want to know how to know God's will for your life? Here's how you know God's will for your life, dear friends. Read, study, and obey His Word. Read, study, and obey His Word. If you're not doing that, then nothing else matters anyway. 
So read, study, and obey His Word. But then if you've got some decision to make in your life, some big decision or some crisis, and you're just not sure what to do, or you need to know the Lord's will for your life, here's how you know the Lord's will. Read, study, and obey His Word. Pray for wisdom. James tells us that, does he not? If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. And God will give it liberally in abundance. So pray for wisdom. And then seek godly counsel. The book of Proverbs says there is wisdom in a multitude of counsel. Wisdom, safety in a multitude of counsel. So if you've got some decision to make, some crisis, or you're not sure what to do, then read, study, and obey God's Word. Pray for wisdom. And by the way, if you're not reading and studying God's Word, don't bother praying for wisdom. He's not going to give it to you. But if you're reading and studying and obeying God's Word, you're praying for wisdom, then go seek some godly counsel. And go to men, go to some men that you trust, that you know are walking with the Lord, and you say, you know, hey, this is, this is what I've got in my life. Uh, I'm not sure what to do. What, what do you think? You know, give me your counsel. There's wisdom in doing that. I have some men in my life that I do that. From time to time, something will come up in my ministry, and, and I'm not sure what to do, and I'll, I'll go to my pastor. I'll, I'll go to a couple of good brothers that I know are walking with the Lord and say, Hey, guys, what do you think? You know, There's wisdom in doing that, and I have been greatly benefited by doing that. So read, study, and obey God's Word. Pray for wisdom. Seek godly counsel. And then... Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding, but in all of your ways acknowledge Him, and He might direct your paths. He'll direct your paths if He's got nothing better to do. He will direct your paths. He will. How does He do that? I don't have the slightest idea. I just know He does. Dear friends, He spoke the universe into existence. I think He can direct our paths. And then, look at the opportunities that you have before you. Make a wise decision and do whatever you want to do. Do whatever you want to do. You don't have to worry, oh, well, if I choose this, man, I really should have chosen this, then everything's just going to unravel and fall apart and like a row of dominoes. No, relax. Relax. He spoke the universe into existence. He can direct our paths. Dear friends, if you want to hear God speak to you, there is one way I guarantee you, you will hear God speak. Read your Bible. If you want to hear God speak to you audibly, read it out loud. (laughs) I guarantee you, you will hear Him speak. I guarantee you. Oh, well, Justin, you know, does God not speak to us in impressions or, you know, can you not, we hear people say, well, well, God laid me on, laid you on my heart or God gave me a burden for this and that. Can he do those things? Sure. You know, I have no doubt um, that God can lay someone on our heart or give us a burden. You know, we hear that lingo, that terminology. Now, the Bible says we're to bear one another's burdens anyway, so there's just a sense in that, and that's just the natural outworking of the, of the Christian life. But can God bring someone to our remembrance? And probably many of you in here can say, well, God really brought someone to my remembrance. I prayed for this person. Turns out this person needed a, you know, was in a crisis kind of situation or whatever. Uh, 
Might that God, be God doing that? Maybe. Maybe not. You know, um, growing up, I had a, a real good childhood friend. He's still a good friend of mine, one of my best friends, a guy named Chad Stewart. We grew up together in Mississippi. And uh, obviously, I, I live in Idaho. I'm quite a, quite a ways from Chad now. and I hardly ever see Chad anymore. But uh, from time to time, Chad will come to my memory, and, you know, I'll think about Chad, and I'll pray for Chad. Is that God bringing Chad to my memory? I don't know. Maybe I just thought about Chad. I don't know. You know, maybe he did, maybe he didn't. So God can certainly do these things. He can certainly give us burdens or, you know, but there's, we don't have a mechanism. We don't have a mechanism to know when it may or may not be God doing it. There's no way for us to know that. But God is not speaking today in a direct quotable sense outside of Scripture. God has spoken to us in His Word. And I'll close with a quote from Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon says this, I have little confidence in those persons who speak of having direct revelations from the Lord, as though He appeared otherwise than by and through the gospel. His Word is so full, so perfect, that for God to make any fresh revelation to you or to me is quite needless. To do so would be to put a dishonor upon the perfection of that Word. Indeed, indeed. Dear friends, what I want you to take away today is God's Word is sufficient. It is sufficient. Everything that we need pertaining to life and godliness, everything that we need to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, right here, God's Word is sufficient. That's the takeaway. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, we, how grateful we are for Your sufficient Word. Lord, Oh, it should grieve all of us when we hear so much lingo in the evangelical world uh, claiming that you are speaking and you say this and that when you're, you've spoken to us in your word. You have given us everything that we need in your word. You've preserved it for us. You have, you have in, uh, given us the, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We have your word. We have everything that we need to carry out your will for our lives, to live lives of obedience to your glory. Lord, may we do so and have complete confidence in the sufficiency of your word for us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.